You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. We're in a series right now called The Weekend That Changed the World. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it is focused on Easter, right? So we're just, we're just after Easter. We're just after this amazing party. And it's interesting to think about, you know, how do you make a series out of the weekend that changed the world? You know, how do you, isn't it just the, the one event, that one, that one time Jesus raising from the dead and ascending into heaven? You know, isn't that the, the pivotal thing? But then you start to think about it a little bit more and you realize, well, that was really just the beginning of the party. You see, we're still actually in the after party right now. We're still actually walking out the after party of what Jesus did. What Jesus did changed the world. Nobody else could have done what he did. But then he left it to us to continue the celebration. He said, look, you don't have to put everything away right now. We're going to continue this party. We're going to let it keep going. And he even told his disciples, and even more amazing things you will do when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So we're going to talk a little bit about about what happens next. And I, I just, I kind of picture like the disciples sitting there, you know, as they see Jesus ascend into heaven and, uh, and just like so much majesty, so much glory. And they're, they're in awe. And then he goes up into the clouds and he, he goes to be with his father, to sit at the right hand of God the Father. And then they kind of are sitting on the couch looking around and they kind of look at each other. And Andrew says to his brother, Peter, so what do we do now? <laughs> you know, what happens next? You know, where do we go from here? We just saw the most amazing thing that we've ever seen in our life. And now what? And Peter looks back at his brother Andrew and he says, well, we could just do what he did. We just follow his example, follow his model. You see, the weekend that changed the world started with Jesus, but it's still being written by us right now. It's, it, it continued with his disciples, and then from generation to generation, from disciple to disciple to disciple, all the way down to us, we're still writing out what that after party is. Have you ever heard the question, how do you eat an elephant? Anybody ever heard that? Anybody know the answer? One bite at a time. One bite at a time. See, the, this, this task that we have to go out to the great commission that God has given us to, to preach the, the gospel to all the nations, so that none would perish. It, you know, just like thinking about what the disciples, that what they had, Jesus gave them that mission. You know, how, how big must that have seemed for them? You know, how daunting a task. But then they realized, well, let's just do this one step at a time, one connection at a time. We're just going to replicate what Jesus did one person at a time. See, that's how you change the world. That's how you eat an elephant. That's how you do something that you cannot do in your own power. You just do the one thing that you can do. You just do the one thing that God has given you. What's that, who's that one person that you can connect with? Who's that one person that you can touch? What's that one little simple act that you can do? You see, the, the, the thing about changing the world is it just takes one simple act of kindness at a time. One simple act of kindness at a time will change the world. You know, and if you don't believe me, just look at the life of Jesus. Just one man, what one man started, then one person at a time, 12 disciples at a time, 70 that he sent out at a time, one by one by one, he made those connections, he made those relationships, and that started the process of changing the world. We get to enjoy that after party right now. We get to participate it. And, yeah, there are some times where we have to... to pick up the trash. We have to clean up the party. We have to, to handle some messes that have been created, but then we get to enjoy the experience of connecting with those people, those party guests that left, that had a great time. They're going to want to come back. 
They're going to want to come back because we've created this space for them that's exciting, that's engaging, that's inviting. And when we bring those people in and then we clean up after them, they'll think, why would, why would somebody do that for me? Why would somebody clean up my mess? And then they start to think, well, if somebody did it for me, then maybe I can do it for somebody else. Maybe I can help somebody else. Maybe I can create a space and environment for them to have a party and clean up after them. That's the mission that we've all been given. And my dad actually, he taught me from a young age the value in picking up trash. Um, and beyond just the, the kind of normal concept of having respect for, for each other, having respect for the environment, and, and leaving a place better than how I found it. That was a principle that, that he taught me. But he also taught me that there is actual financial gain in picking up trash. Literally, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And, uh, but my dad knew me pretty well, and he knew me enough to know that he couldn't just, you know, tell me to go pick up some trash, you know, that he actually had to, to make it kind of an adventure. So uh, does anybody remember big wheels? Anybody know, everybody have a big wheel? Those were awesome. I love, it's kind of like a low rider tricycle, right? It's, three, it's, it's a gangster tricycle. You know, it's a, this big wheel in the front with the pedals and then the, the low seat, the low, uh, low wheels on the back. Now you can do some, some awesome like slide stops in those things, like spin it around. I love my big wheel. So my dad, he took, a, he took a crate and he fixed it on the back of this big wheel. And then we would, we would roll along the street, you know, riding in the little rider tricycle, big wheel. And, uh, and we would go and we'd pick up cans just along the side of the road. And he would toss them in the, in the crate and then go and sell them at the recycle place and actually earn some money. And it's amazing how uh, as I get older, I realize how much like my dad I am and how much like my boys are like me for the good and the bad. But, uh, you know, it's funny how, how you, can, you, know, you can tell your kids, like, with a, like a bullhorn standing right beside them to clean up their room, to clean up their room, pick up their toys, and it's like you're not even there. It's like they have this dead-eye stare. I don't, I don't know what's going through their mind. Like, how could they not hear me? It's impossible for them not to be able to hear. I know they're not deaf, and I'll tell you why. Because you could be screaming, clean up your room, pick up your toys, like right in their face. And then, but then if you come over to the other side of the room, maybe in a different room in the house, and you, and you just whisper, ice cream. All of a sudden, <laughs> their heads pop up. They can hear you just fine. There's nothing wrong with their hearing. But I've learned a trick. I've learned a secret. Like parents, especially for parents of boys, here's the secret to, to get them to, to clean up the room, to pick up their toys. You, si you set a timer, right? You count down. I'm going to give you guys 60 seconds. 60 seconds to clean up all these toys. All of a sudden, you engage something in them that it's not just a task anymore. All, you've given them a mission. They have an assignment. They have a challenge to overcome. So I'll start counting down. 60 59, 58, and I see them scurrying around doing something, and it's the only way reliably that I've found to get them to clean up, clean up their, after themselves. So you guys can use that. That was a free one for new parents out there. It's funny. I think, uh, I think Mary Poppins uh, was onto something, right? You know, in every job that must be done, there's an element of fun. Find the fun and snap the jobs a game. It's true for Mary Poppins, true for kids, and true for all of us. That everybody has tasks that we've been assigned to do that, that we don't really like to do. We don't really enjoy it. But if you can find that element of fun in it, all of a sudden, it doesn't make the task so hard anymore. When you add a spoonful of sugar, it makes the medicine go down. Amen. <laughs> so we've got we to find the spoonful of sugar for each of us in our lives. You know, I took, uh, you know, I, I've, I've definitely... Um, 
taken hold of that principle that my dad taught me, and it's been my desire to teach my boys the same thing. So, um, you know, as we'd, we'd go along the street or something, I'd tell them, all right, I'll give you a quarter for every piece of trash that you pick up. And we used to live close to a 7-Eleven, and, uh, and so they'd, they'd say, Dad, can we go up to 7-Eleven and get an ice cream? Can we go get an ice cream? So if they were good, you know, we'd, we'd use that as a treat. Like, okay, we can go to 7-Eleven and get an ice cream. And on the way, I'd tell them, okay, you know, go pick up that piece of trash, and I'll give you a quarter. Go pick up that piece of trash, I'll give you a quarter. And uh, invariably, somehow, it always uh, worked out to be just enough for their ice cream. <laughs> So they earned their ice cream picking up trash. And, I'm, you know, and I started to teach them the principles, the same principles that my dad taught me. Going through life, um, you know, there's lots of times where, where you know, I, I wouldn't want to, to pick up a piece of trash walking along the side of the road. And uh, I'd start to think, you know, why, you know, why is this God? Why is it that I can't, I can't walk past a piece of trash? Why does it always stick in my mind? So many times I'd, I'd you know, kind of force myself to walk past and then just find myself turning back around and going to pick it up because I couldn't get it out of my head. And, and I was kind of asking God, I was kind of wrestling with him, why, you know, why is it? What is it about this principle that's, that's stuck with me so much? And I heard God speak to me in that moment. And, um, and, and maybe some of you are, are kind of wondering, what is what does that sound like for God to speak to you? You know, how, how, do I, how do I hear what God is saying? Has anybody ever asked that question? Anybody ever thought, you know, like, how do I hear what God wants from me? And, and for me, and I think for most of us, um, you, can't, you can't listen with your ears. Like, I, I've never feel like I've, I've heard the audible voice of God, you know, booming out from the sky. You are my son in whom I'm well pleased, you know. But, but I have heard something, but it's not come from the outside, it's come from the inside. I hear God speak through my spirit. And, and you know, more often than not, it sounds like my voice. It sounds like what, what I'm saying. But it's coming from somewhere that's, that's not up here, it's, it's down here. You know, God is speaking through my heart. When you have a connection with Jesus Christ, when you've received him as your Lord and Savior, you have access to the Spirit of Christ. And he will speak through you. He'll speak through your heart into your understanding. So these, these things will pop into my head that like, oh, I've, I've never thought about that before. Like, oh, I, I, don't, I, I never understood that in that way. But God is speaking to me in that moment. He's teaching me something. It's a tool that he's imparting to me. Um, you know, and that's, that's what I consider God speaking to me. So maybe, maybe as I've said that, you, you guys have started to, to realize, you start, yes, like God has spoken to me. I have heard things like that. Maybe I didn't understand where it was coming from. And, uh, and it's true that, that there are voices that may pop into your head or come from different areas and you're like, uh, like I'm not sure if that's God. You know, like, well, the first thing you can do is test it against the word of God. You know, if it lines up with this word, then you're probably on the right track. And the second test that I use whenever I hear something in, you know, spoken into my spirit is, is simply, is it good? Is it a good thing? Because I know if it's good, it's got to be God. Because even Jesus told somebody, why do you call me good? None is good but the Father. So if God is speaking something into your heart or you hear that word coming from the inside, test it against the word of God and, test, and give it the good test. Is this a good thing? Does this help somebody? Is there going to be a positive outcome if I do this thing? That's just a, a quick, I think, word for somebody here you know, on, on hearing, from, hearing from God. So I ask this question of God. Why is it, why is it so difficult for me to walk past this trash that's laying on the ground. And I heard God speak to me, and he said, I'm training you to pick up people. I'm training you to connect with people. Every piece of trash that you pick up represents a person that you can help. 
Every piece of trash that you go after, every discarded thing, it's not that the person is trash, it's that there's an opportunity to change somebody's life. There's an opportunity to do something better. There's an opportunity that he's given me the strength to be a difference maker in this world, to be a difference maker in the one person's life. That one person, that maybe something that God has showed me, I can show them. Maybe I can help pick them up out of a situation that they're in. Maybe I can just give them the right word in the right season, the exact thing that they need to hear. And I know it's not going to be me. I don't, I don't even know these people. I've never seen that piece of trash in my life before. But God has made it available to me. He's opened my eyes to see the need of the ones, of those people. And he's given me the heart to go after them. He's given me a willingness to touch the untouchable. The title of this message is The Untouchables. Not to be confused with a movie of the same name. Anybody seen that? Kevin Costner, Sean Connery, great movie. Robert De Niro, Gangsters, Prohibition. You can go watch it sometime. The Untouchables. It was a toss-up between this and The Trash Collector, but I figured The Untouchables kind of rolls off the tongue a little bit better than Trash Collector, so I went with this one. Before that revelation I had with God, um, you know, I, would, I would come up with all kinds of excuses on not to do it. You know, I would say, well, this, it's not my job, right? It's not my job to pick up that trash. It's somebody else's job. You know, I think uh, like Lisa's dad even, or some, not Lisa's dad, somebody else even says at the stadiums, like, I'm not going to pick up the trash in the stadium. I'm taking away somebody's job. They pay somebody to do that. But the, it's, that's abdication. You know, it's abdication. You know, Adam and Eve were in the garden, and... and uh, God had told Adam, don't eat of that fruit. But Eve was tempted by the serpent, and Adam actually abdicated his responsibility to step in, because he was there with her, step in and say, no, God said, don't eat of this fruit. But instead, he abdicated that role. He abdicated that responsibility. He let the serpent tempt Eve and go after him, and then she opened it up to him. That abdication was the start of sin. We can't abdicate the responsibility. Maybe you're think, maybe you know, I've said, well, I don't, feel like, I don't feel like going to pick up that piece of trash, you know? Like, I'm tired. I'm, maybe I'm already carrying something. Like, I don't feel like it. Well, now I just look at it as exercise, right? I'm just getting to work out, do some lunges. Yes, one, two. Come on, you can, there's, there's ways, there's a spoonful of sugar in every job, every task. There's a way you can look at. Maybe, maybe I have more important things to do. I'm on a mission. I have to go somewhere. I have to be somewhere. I don't have time to go pick up that trash. And this is where I will throw in a caveat that each one of us is called to walk in a lane, right? We've been given a calling. We've been given a mission. We've been given an assignment. And so what I'm not saying is I'm not saying that you need to jump out of your lane because you see a piece of trash way over there and you see a person way over there that's not in your path, that's not in your assignment and go after him. You do need to follow your path. You do need to follow the call that God has had you on, that your mission, your assignment in life is to do that. But there will be pieces of trash. There will be people that God puts in, that he weaves into your path that you are called to go after. You are called to go pick them up. And the beautiful thing about it is, is that we're not called to walk alone. I have brothers, I have sisters on either side of me, and we're walking together. And see, if we each stay in our own lane, then we're cleaning up the whole place. Anybody ever heard of a fod walk? 
FODWALK in the airline industry, or you, there's a big runway, right? And you don't want any trash on the runway because it could get sucked up into the turbines. So, so you have, there's a team of people that will go and they'll walk down the length of that run, runway and each one has their own lane. And see, if one of those persons sees a piece of trash in somebody else's lane and they decide, I'm gonna go out of my lane and I'm gonna go over and get that piece of trash, then two things happen. One, nobody's, nobody's watching their lane now. Their, their lane is empty. And two, you've taken away the responsibility of that person. So what do they do? They just sit there. They have nothing to do. We are called to stay in our own lane, but we are called to pick up the trash that's in our lane. The last one, probably the number one reason why you know, I wouldn't want to pick up trash, and I think most of us would say the same thing, is simply that it's dirty. It's gross. I don't have an easy way to handle this thing that's on the ground. You know, there's no trash can nearby. I don't have a bag with me. You know, whatever it is, like, we, we, we don't want to go out of our way to, to dirty ourselves, to mess ourselves up by picking up this trash. And the truth is, with trash and with people, that you will get dirty sometimes. You will get dirty if you fulfill that mission, that calling, to pick up that trash, to help that person. Maybe, you know, reaching down in the mud means you're going to get your shoes, you're going to get your pants, you're going to get your hands a little bit dirty. That's true, but that's why God gave us soap, so we can clean up afterwards. And he gave us trash cans. He gave us proper facilities, proper receptacles to handle the trash. So we need to, to figure out, you know, all these excuses that run through our mind. All these excuses that I talked about for trash. When we substitute people for trash, do those excuses make sense anymore? Do those excuses hold a candle to the possibility of what can happen in that person's life if we reach down and pick them up? Are we, are we called to abdicate our responsibility to help our neighbor? Are, you know, is laziness really an option when somebody is in distress? You know, you know, do these excuses make sense? You know, do I have something more important to do? What can be more important than changing somebody's lives, taking them out of death, and giving them a new life in Christ? What could be more important than that? We have to identify our priorities. Stay in our lane, but identify our priorities. And we have to realize that, yes, we may get dirty at times. There may be some mud that's flung around, and it might get in our face. You know, but are we willing to accept that? What if Christ wasn't willing to accept the dirt? What if he wasn't willing to accept the mud that was slung at him? What if he wasn't willing to accept the insults, the abuse, the ridicule, the pain, the lashes, all of those things? What if he wasn't willing to do that for us? Where would we be now? We wouldn't be here. Are, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to take the model of Christ and do as he did? I want to look at a, a few examples, a few types of untouchables. You know, I talked about, you know, we have this model of Jesus, WWJD. You know, so what, what are... What are these, these types of people? What did Jesus do? How did he touch the untouchables? Well, the first type of person is the disciples themselves. You see, most of the disciples, uh, the Bible doesn't say what all of their professions were, but most of them were uneducated. Maybe as many as seven of them were fishermen, tax collectors, different things. But for the most part, they were either uneducated or misguided. See, Jesus didn't call scholars. He didn't call oil tycoons. He didn't call movie stars or, or athletes. He kind of called just ordinary, blue-collar, hardworking people. 
They were people that had, had a mission. They were people that had an assignment. They were doing something. He didn't just go down to, to you know, the downtown area and, and find people that were sitting along the street, not doing anything, just kind of wasting away and say, hey, you're my disciple now. You're, you're part of my inner circle. No, he actually found people that were doing something, that were working, that were moving, that had a job, but then he repurposed them. You see, he could have gone to, to the Pharisee school. He could have gone to, to the colleges and universities and said, okay, I want to find some educated, I want to find some PhDs, some people who know a lot about the word of God, about the law and all these things. But the problem is, is that he really only had three years. He had three years to accomplish his ministry. And he's thinking, you know what? It would take me three years to unlearn them what they have learned, to rewire their brains. And I just ain't got that much time. You know, I've got a mission, I've got an assignment, I've got something that, that God has called me to do, the purpose set before him. You know, so he needed some people that were capable of working, that were capable of doing, but hadn't been so ingrained in a system that he was trying to change that it would take his entire time to fix it. And it talks about this, the sheep versus the goats in Matthew 25, 34 to 40. He talks about kind of the difference between um, those who are willing to receive the word versus those who have, who have been so ingrained in a system that they just can't understand it. And we see, then the king will say to those on his right, come you are blessed by my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When, we di when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Such a beautiful example, Jesus showing us how to touch the untouchables. These examples, there's something in here that, that speaks, that's speaking to you right now, that's jumping out of you. I can do that thing. I can be that for somebody else. I can, I can see that piece of trash and I can go after it. I can collect it. I can put it in the proper place. Be a sheep, not a goat. Be a sheep. And Jesus did with his, this with his disciples. He actually took people that were unlearned or that were uneducated, that were misguided, and he commissioned them. He gave them a new purpose. He gave them a new calling to go out into all the world and do as he had done. To go out into all the world and be a disciple maker. Not just be a disciple, but be a disciple maker. To take the tools that he had given them, that he had modeled for them, and replicate it in other people. To create a party for somebody else so that they can enjoy themselves. And clean up after them so that they can have that model in their own life. He redefined their purpose. And I think right now here today, he's redefining some purposes in each one of us. What are you doing right now that's, that's not in your path, that's not in the alignment that God has given you? It doesn't matter if you're not learned, you're schooled in the Bible. You know, there's plenty of time. Pick one up and read it. It's good stuff. You know, what is it that God's calling you? What is he training you right now? What is he, he, is he rewiring? Sometimes we all need a little bit of rewiring. Fortunately, Jesus has more than three years to work on us. <laughs> he's got our lifetime to, to rewire us the proper way, and he's given us the Holy Spirit to do it so that he doesn't even have to be here in person. He's given us the Holy Spirit, and he's given us brothers and sisters around us, mentors, people that can speak into us, people that, that, that are learned maybe. They have an understanding of what the Spirit of God is doing in their life, and we can draw for them. We can learn from them. 
The second type of untouchable person that Jesus spoke to, and there's many of them, and these are just a few that I pulled out. The cultural outcast. In John chapter four, there's a, a story about a woman at a well where Jesus comes into this town and he, he goes to the well to get a drink and there's a woman there at midday. And this is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, normally uh, a, a single man would not go up and talk to a single woman and uh, they, they wouldn't be seen alone. And two, normally the women in that day, they would go out and get the water early in the morning or, or later in the evening when it's not so hot. They wouldn't typically be at the well at midday. So we can kind of surmise from this text that, that um, this woman is maybe not part of the in crowd. You know, and it actually says that she's a Samaritan woman. So she's, she's um, ethnically not connected with the Jews. And so there's already some separation. But even more than that, the story goes on to tell how, how Jesus starts to interact with her. And, uh, and he asks her for a drink of water. And, and, uh, and they start talking and, and they get to the point where, where Jesus is revealing himself to her. As, as not just a normal human being, not just a normal person. You know, he, he tells her, okay, go and, go and get your husband. And uh, she says, no, I don't have a husband. He's, you, you spoke correctly. You actually have had five husbands, and the man that you're living with now is not your husband either. And so he reveals himself, he reveals his identity in, in a supernatural way to her. And, and this opens her eyes, this awakens her. This, this cultural outcast, this person that other people wouldn't talk to her, he tells her that, that I am the living water. I am the thing that you've been searching for without maybe even knowing it. I am the reason why that, that, that people are, are like talking about this Messiah, talking about this Christ, like who could this person be? And she realizes in that moment that she is talking to the I am. She is talking to her Savior. Jesus connects with her in a way he restores a relationship, a cultural outcast, a person that's untouchable by most of the other people in that town or that area. He, he establishes that relationship through his identity. Through the revelation of Jesus Christ, she understands that she can actually be part of something now. That she has a source of connection, that she doesn't have to be alone anymore. She, just does, she doesn't have to rely on the next guy to provide for her or the next man to be her husband. She can actually have a source of connection, a source of, of deliverance that goes beyond anything natural, anything that she's ever experienced. So she runs back to the town. All these people who have, out, who have, who have put her aside, who think she's not worth anything, have made her the outcast. And she tells them, come and meet the man who knows everything that I have ever done. Come and meet this person? Could he be the Messiah? Could he be the, the Christ? You see, she actually started to be a witness to the people that had shunned her. She was, so, she was so changed, so transformed by the revelation of Jesus Christ that she could not contain it anymore. She had to go and tell everybody that she knew, come and see this man. Come and see this person. He will change your life. He's changed mine. The next type of person, the next type of untouchable that Jesus reaches out to, the diseased and the infirmed. In John chapter five, the very next chapter in the Bible, Jesus goes to uh, the pool of Bethesda. And there, there are many invalid people there. There are many people that have been sick. And he actually meets a man, he encounters a man who's been sick, he's been invalid for 38 years. 38 years lying beside this pool. 
You see, there was something, something different about this pool in Bethesda. There was, there was uh, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come in and stir the waters. And whenever the waters were stirred, whoever was the first person to get into that pool was healed of whatever was afflicting them. They were healed of their infirmity. And so this man for 38 years, you know, he's, he's had this, this, this condition. And, and Jesus says, you know, when he meets him, why have you been like this? And the man says, there's no one to help me to get to the pool. Whenever I see the water stirred, somebody else always beats me in, so I can't receive the healing that I so desire. And Jesus, in that moment, having compassion for the disease, having compassion for the infirm, he says, take up your bed and walk. In a moment, Jesus did what this man was, was, was longing for, was expecting for for 38 years. For so long in his life, he wasn't able to receive that one thing that he wanted. But that one connection with Jesus, that one moment in time, when Jesus stepped into world, his world, when Jesus touched that person that was untouchable, nobody else would help him into the pool. And Jesus said, I am. I am the person that can restore you. I am, and I tell you right now, rise up and walk. And the man takes up his bed and walks. He receives the healing. He receives the connection from his Savior. In that moment, there's a, there's a lot of times in the scripture where, uh, where Jesus kind of has a moment with his disciples. You know, we talked about how they're unlearned, and, and I kind of like think of these as, as facepalm moments, where, where Jesus is, is, like, is trying to teach them something. He's trying to get something to them, and they're just, they're just not getting it. You know, I think maybe like some of these times, Jesus is thinking, maybe I could have picked one college student. You know, maybe, maybe one person with a degree, somebody that could just get me on a level that these guys tend not to. But these are the guys that he picked. And one of these moments, uh, there was a blind, a blind man who came to Jesus. And, uh, and Jesus was told that this man and his disciples, that Jesus was told that this man was blind from birth. And so his disciples asked him, well, like, who sinned? Was it this man's parents that sinned? Or was it this man that sinned? And Jesus is thinking, he was blind from birth. How can you sin when you're in a womb? Like, how can you sin? How can you do that? Jesus had a facepalm moment with his disciples. But he said, neither one, okay? Just so that you know that the Son of Man has power, so that you know that I am called to heal the sick, that I am called to do what other people have not been able to do. I'm restoring this man's sight right now. I'm healing this man from his blindness. And he prays over the man, and he receives his sight. Blind from birth. But Jesus connected with him. He touched this man on a way where nobody else had been able to. He restored his sight. He restored his vision. He could see now, but not just see with his eyes. He could see that this was the Messiah, that this was the Christ. He revealed something to him on a natural and a supernatural level. He met the needs of a person on a natural level. We're called to meet the needs of people that we touch on a natural level, but also on a supernatural level. We're supposed to introduce them to our Savior. We're supposed to introduce them to the one who can do for them what we or nobody else can do for them, that we're called to touch people in a way that goes beyond just what the physical needs are. We do meet those physical needs, because the Bible says, like, how can you, how can somebody who's starving, who's hungry, you know, and, and you just walk by them and say, God bless you, how can they receive blessing when their stomach is empty? You know, they actually need some food, they need to be nourished and sustained, and then they're able to receive the truth. Then they're able to hear who God is and what he's about, because he just, he just met their physical need by sending you, now he can meet their spiritual need by sending his spirit. That's what we need to do, we introduce people to our Savior through, through the physical, through the works like Daniel was talking about, but then we open up the avenue of faith to come into their life. We open up the avenue of that something supernatural. 
And in Luke 7, 20 to 22, this is where Jesus talks about it. Two of John's disciples uh, come to him and they ask him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah? This is Luke 7, 20 to 22. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many of their diseases, illnesses, evil spirits, and he restored sight to the many who were blind. He told John's disciples, go back to John, tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear and the dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. The last type of untouchable person that I wanna talk about today is the disqualified the disqualified. In Mark chapter five, it talks about the woman with the issue of blood. This is a woman who for for 12 years has had a condition, a condition where the the blood is continually flowing from her. That she's she's gone to doctors, she's gone to anybody that she can think of, the physicians, to try and correct this issue. She spent all of her money. You know, and, and why is this? You know, I mean, we can understand, yeah, whenever, whenever something happens to us and, and we get sick, we want to try and correct it, but it goes beyond that. You see, this particular issue, it made her, by the Levitical laws, unclean. It made her an outcast. It made her have to separate herself from her family, from her friends, from the life that she knew. You see, when you have this issue and you're, you're unclean according to the law, anybody who touches you, has to go outside of the camp, has to separate themselves for a day and, and purify themselves and cleanse themselves. So any person that she touched over the 12 years she had this condition, immediately had to go above and beyond. They had to do something else. They had to go through a ritual to, to purify themselves so that they could then go back. But she was still stuck on the outside because she had this continual issue that she was never able to purify herself in a way that she could be reconnected with her family. So naturally they would, they would ostracize her. Maybe, maybe they didn't at first, maybe at first for the first couple of years even, they would go through the hassle to, to be with her, to connect with her, to, to do what they had to do. But I can just see one by one, like her family members, her friends would slowly peel off, slowly separate themselves from her because it was just too much trouble. It was too hard. It was too much work involved to be in relationship with her. So one by one, she became more lonely, more ostracized, more outcast. Until one day, she started hearing about this, this man named Jesus, this, this Messiah. Could it be the Messiah, this person? But she, she, she's heard this testimony. She's heard how, how people who are blind have had their eyes restored. She's, she's heard how this, this man has, has connected with people in a way that goes just beyond the natural. She's heard how, how he's done things that nobody else has been able to do. So she desires so desperately to see him. And she thinks maybe, maybe this is the answer. I've tried everything else. So she gets to that place and, and I think this woman probably had a lot of things going on in her mind. You know, maybe some things that we think about as well. She thinks about how she's not worthy because she's unclean. Will this, will this prophet, will this Messiah even, even touch her? Will this, will this man come around her? Is he, or is he too focused on his mission and, and his assignment? And, and maybe rightly so, he has so many people he, he, he needs to touch, but then if he touches her, he becomes unclean. So how can he do what he's called to do? So she starts to maybe disqualify herself. She starts to think, is it even possible? I've tried everything, nothing works. Everything that I've tried, it's just gotten me into a worse and worse state. 
she disqualifies the possibility. Maybe she thinks, it's just not for me. I'm not even supposed to be here, right? She's kind of hiding herself. She's, she's, you know, there's so many people though, there's no way that she can get to him without touching other people. So maybe she even breaks the rules a little bit. Just, just being in that crowd, touching the people and they don't know that she's unclean and she goes up and brushes against them and now that person would have to be, but she can't say that because they, would, they wouldn't let her in. They would block her way. But there's something about this man and her desire is so strong to have her healing that though she may think that she's disqualified for all these reasons, though we may think that we're disqualified for so many reasons, something rises up on the inside of her that qualifies her. Something rises up on the inside of her that says, none of that stuff matters. I've got to get to this man. I've got to touch him. I've got to see if he's the one who I've been waiting for, who we've all been waiting for, that can qualify as me. And, and, and it happens, she reaches out and she says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just grab a hold of his cloak, maybe that's enough. Maybe that's enough for me. And many of us have heard the story. We know that she presses her way through the crowd and she reaches out and she touches the cloak. She touches the hem of his garment. And in that moment, she's restored. In that moment, power flows out of Jesus into her. In that moment, she is qualified. But watch this, it's not by what Jesus did because he turns and he says, who touched me? Who touched me? And his disciples are all around him. There's a crowd that's, that's thronging Jesus. They're coming at him from every way. And the disciples are like, everybody's touching. What do you mean, who touched you? He said, no, I felt power flow through me. Somebody touched me in a supernatural way. Somebody connected with me. Somebody became touchable with me in a way that goes just beyond the natural, goes beyond what somebody can physically do. And this woman, though she may have been scared, she realized that, that she was found out, that she was discovered. And despite all those fears, Jesus looks at her and says, woman, your faith has made you well. You have qualified yourself because of your faith in me. What is he telling you today? How do you need to qualify yourself? Not because of what you can do, not because of, of even the things that Jesus did, but just simple faith in him. Just simple faith that he is the son of God, that he is capable to heal, that he is capable to restore. We need to qualify ourselves today. Any of those sins, any of those ailments, anything that is afflicting you, how are you gonna be qualified today? How is Jesus speaking to you right now to qualify yourself, to allow faith to build up on the inside of you? Because perfect love casts out fear. It says in 1 John 4, 18, perfect love casts out fear. When you come into an understanding of how much God loves you, that he sent his one and only son to die for each one of us, that he so loved us that he qualified us. He qualified us to be touchable. Who are the untouchables in your world? Who is God calling you to reach down and pick up? A couple instances, um, you know, and it usually happens after, after men's prayer in the morning where, uh, where I'd be leaving, leaving prayer and driving to work or, or walking down the street, whatever, and, and uh, God would highlight people to me. He would show me people. This is this one time in particular, I was pulling out of, of where we had men's prayer at the time, maybe, maybe nine years ago, 10 years ago, and, uh, and I saw this guy walking, walking his dog, and I felt God say, you need to go and pray with him. And I, of course, like all the excuses started popping in my mind. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm headed to work, you know, I'm, I'm going this way, I'm driving, you know, he's walking, like how am I, how's this gonna work? And so, so I kept driving, I kept driving and I pulled around the corner, but still it was nagging in me, nagging in me. 
So, all right, fine, 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 God. So I pulled around the block. I went back, okay, I was like, okay, I made a deal with God. If he's still there when I come back around, then I'll go pray with him. And sure enough, he was there. So I parked my car, I got out, and you know, my mind is racing, my heart is racing, like, what am I gonna say to this guy? One little trick that I've found that may be good for each of you if you find yourself in this situation, smile. <laughs> Smiles go a long way. Act friendly, be personable. So I just walked up to him and I said, hey, I know this may sound weird, but I was just over here at a prayer meeting at my friend's house. And I was driving by and I saw you walking your dog and I just felt like God say that I needed to talk to you. And I said, is there anything that I can pray for you for? And he said, well, actually I've been, I've been away from church for a while, but I've been feeling like God is calling me to go back. I've been feeling like I need to go back. And I just said, let me pray for you. So I prayed for him in that moment, invited him to church. And I believe that he actually did wind up going. I don't know if he, he still goes or not, but I know that, that God called me to plant that seed or maybe water the seed. Maybe somebody else had already planted it, but God, God used me in that moment because I made myself available to touch those who needed to be touched, to touch the untouchables. God's gonna give you opportunities to touch people. He's gonna give you opportunities almost every day. And like me, maybe there's some times where you, you rationalize away that situation, but I've just found like that situation with the man, every time I, I try and make an excuse, every time I rationalize it away, man, it just eats at me. It sticks with me for so long. Like, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I go after that person? So I just found it's easier just to, just to obey him the first time. It saves me a lot of time, you know, like, all right, fine, let's get this over with. Let's do it. But you know what? When, when you do it, that, that regret is not there. The pain is not there. The angst is not there. You, you have a sense of fulfillment. You have a sense of accomplishment. And more importantly than that, you have a, a sense that you've done what God has asked you to do. And that thing is so valuable. That thing is maybe like even more valuable than, than what that person might have received. When you answer the call of God, God will make it easier for you to hear his voice. See, if you're, if you're constantly turning a deaf ear, if you're constantly making excuses, if you're constantly putting aside what God is asking you to do, the scary thing is, is that you might stop hearing him ask. You might stop hearing him give you those assignments. You might stop hear, hearing him speak into your spirit. But the more that you do it, the more you get in tune to his voice, the more you can hear from the inside what he's saying to you, the easier it is to hear it, the easier it is to respond. And the more that you'll do it, you'll start to see miracles happen. You'll start to see blessing and favor come on your life. You'll start to see the power of God, not just move in you, but move through you. You start to see people reaching out and touching you. You'll start to see people realizing that you've got something on you that's not just natural, that's powerful. And they'll come around you, they'll wanna get some of what you're drinking. You can give them the Kool-Aid then. <laughs> Jesus commissioned the misguided. He gave identity to the outcast. He healed the sick and he qualified the disqualified. He touched the untouchables. He established connection. Sin is what separates us from God. 
You see, and, and, and actually sin and God cannot coexist. God is so pure, he's so righteous, that if sin were ever to come into contact with him, it would immediately be extinguished. It would immediately be vanquished. You see, the problem with us is all of us, problem with us is that we have sin that's just naturally in this world. So that when we come into this world, we're exposed to the sin, you know, and then at some point in our life, we commit sin, either knowingly or unknowingly. And so, so that situation means that we cannot be in the presence of God. We cannot touch God. We cannot connect with God because of the sin that is in us. Because if we did, immediately we would be extinguished. Immediately we would be vanquished. Immediately we would be no more. But Jesus, because of his sacrifice, because of his purity, he actually became sin. It says on the cross, you know, one of the things that Jesus said is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, when Jesus became sin, God could no longer exist in that same place with him because Jesus would have been consumed. God had to separate himself from his only son, Jesus Christ, when he became sin, so that Jesus could take on the sins of all of us. The entire world of sin was put onto one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus, in that moment, he made everyone touchable again for God. Each one of us now is touchable by God because of what Jesus did, because he took the sin, and all we have to do is say, I receive it. I receive your righteousness on me. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I claim that righteousness. I claim right now that I am touchable by God because of what you did. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com.